Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Nehemiah. We'll be in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4, kind of jumping around this morning. I want to encourage you to be back Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for a great time in God's house. We'll be in Mark chapter 12 here in the sanctuary. All ministries will be meeting, so there's something for every member of the family this Wednesday night. Come on out and join us. Be a part of what God is doing to build His kingdom right here through All Nations Church. And thank you, Ava, for putting that uh, beautiful worship dance together. Amen? Great job. The notes for the message this morning are on the app. Uh, you can find them there if you need them. Otherwise, you can just follow along. I've got a little bit of ring up here. If you can help me out, I'd appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to read verses 9 through 11 as we begin this morning. Nehemiah said, Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. The king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. You know the background of this story. Nehemiah's brother had came. We talked about it last week when we talked about restoration. It came back to the capital of Susa and talked to him about what was happening in Jerusalem. What you may not realize is that Previous to his return, three groups of Jews had been sent back to Jerusalem, somewhere between 42 and 50,000, to begin rebuilding the city and rebuilding the country. When his brother came back, he didn't have a good report. It seemed like the job was overwhelming, maybe impossible, and they weren't going to be able to get it done. So when Nehemiah heard this bad report, he was grieved in his spirit. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. And the king, whom he served every day as his butler, saw his face was downcast, and he asked him what was wrong. So Nehemiah told him, it's because the city of my fathers is laid to waste. The walls are destroyed, the gates are burned, and I'm grieving over my homeland. Because he too was a Jew. That place was very significant to him. He was grieving over it. And when the king heard that, he said, well, what do you want? And Nehemiah made the request. Give me letters so I can requisition all the supplies I need. Send me men to help me and let me go back and rebuild the walls and reset the gates. So last week we talked about restoration. And I shared with you four points about restoration last week when we looked at that passage of Scripture. And we need to understand that as we move from restoration to rebuilding, God has another plan for us and a challenge for us as well. Rebuilding is never easy. Matter of fact, rebuilding is often harder than restoration. Restoration often is an act of the heart. Rebuilding involves many facets of our being. It's often harder to rebuild something than it is to start from scratch and to build it. Some of you maybe have experienced the tragedy of a fire or a hurricane or a tornado or a flood that damaged your home and you had to rebuild. You know how difficult that is because with every piece of rubbish, damaged stuff that you clean out of that dwelling, there's a memory, there's a hurt, there's a pain, 
And sometimes there's even a little bit of joy associated with it. But you remember, the hardest part of rebuilding is often the emotional pain that you feel walking through that process. Building a house is much, much easier than rebuilding a life. Can I tell you that? Much easier than rebuilding a life, a life that suffered loss. The loss of a marriage, the loss of a spouse through death or divorce, the loss of health. Any other major disappointments affect us in a powerful way. Putting the pieces of our lives back together after a loss is often hard and discouraging work. It requires true grit to get it done. In the process of rebuilding, everyone wants to say, is it really worth it? What they're really saying is, can we get it done? We'll be able to recover and to rebuild the things that we have lost. We look around us today and we know that our society desperately needs restoration and rebuilding. We see it on every hand. Morality is gone from our culture. People are doing exactly what they desire, when they desire, with who they desire, with no thought or consequence to what's going to happen on down the road. Nehemiah is a book about rebuilding. We've talked about it already. The nation of Israel had been conquered over 100 years previous to this. The brightest and the smartest and the most capable have been carried off into exile. Think of people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, Mordecai. All of these people lived during this time period that we're talking about. And when the winds of the Mideast began to change, King Cyrus decided it was time to send people back and rebuild this nation that they had conquered. Nehemiah loved his heritage. He loved his homeland. I'm sure you can relate to that as well, can't you? I love being an American. I love the fact that I was born here. I can call this my home. And it grieves my heart when I see the destruction that has come to our nation. Imagine what Nehemiah was feeling in this moment of time. He was grieved. He was filled with sorrow over the destruction that had came to his nation. And may I tell you that destruction came because his nation, listen to me, turned their back on God. They said, we know a better way. We prefer the gods that are around us. We prefer idols instead of the God not made with human hands. May I tell you, we're living in a culture that replicates what happened to the Jews. We're living in a culture that has turned its back on God, that has said we know a better way. We prefer the gods that we have created to the gods who created us. And may I tell you, there are so many false gods in America today that people are serving. So many false deceptions. We are living in a society that is, I believe, more deceived than any society that's ever walked in shoe leather on planet Earth. A society is all right with saying right is wrong and wrong is right. Up is down and down is up. We turn everything inside out and reverse it or revert it to our own desires and passions. We're living in a society that is at the point where God is going to say enough is enough. You see, I came with this message this morning to challenge you. It's time to rebuild the walls of our society. 
It's time to rehang the gates, to reestablish those things that protect us. And what are those things that protect us? It's the principles of God's word. We need to understand that just because the secularists, just because the humanists have just said this isn't true, that is not an accurate statement. When they have got done gone and passed away, when there's no longer remembrance of them, the word of God will stand sure and stand true. His word will not pass away regardless. And I promised myself this morning I wasn't going to be political. But I got to say it. Regardless of what politicians says or what laws enacted from Washington, D.C., it will never override the power and the truth and the integrity of the word of the living God. His word will stand sure forever and ever. And not one jot or one tittle will pass away. And I don't care how it's tried to be reinterpreted, reinvented, reapplied. It will never stand against the truth and the integrity of the Word of God. Listen, folks, I don't have an agenda against anyone. God's called us as believers to love everyone. But at the same time, God has called us to confront sin and the behaviors that lead to destruction and take people to hell. You do realize the primary purpose of the church is to worship Jesus Christ and to turn men towards him. And when we avoid those purposes, when we begin worshiping man, we begin embracing the doctrines of man, when we put politicians in our pulpits instead of preachers preaching the word of God, we're on a slippery slope. And our goal, our job, our responsibility is to bring all nations to Jesus Christ. To bring all people to Jesus Christ. Nehemiah has a challenge. It's the same challenge we face today, rebuilding what has fallen. And when we read the book of Nehemiah, it really provides a pretty good case study, if I can use that word, for rebuilding areas in our lives, in our homes, in our families, and in our churches. When we begin rebuilding from ruins, it always involves three aspects of who we are. First, it involves our heart. Second, it involves our head. Third, it involves our hands. So I want to talk to you very quickly today about Nehemiah's heart. What Nehemiah felt is what the outline says. Nehemiah was full of compassion. You can read it in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, and I'll read it for you. The king said to me, why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Nehemiah said, so I became dreadfully afraid. And the king said, may the king live forever. And my, why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned? He was sad. He was filled with compassion over what he heard, the report that he received. His city was destroyed. The walls destroyed. The gates burned. Compared to other Jews, Nehemiah really had a pretty good life. I mean, think about it. He wasn't left behind to deal with the rubble. He was taken out. He earned the position of being the cupbearer or the butler to the king. He saw him not once a day, but probably three times a day at least. He served the most powerful man in the entire known world at that time. His life was a lot easier than those around him. There's no question about it. A lesser man 
would have said, you know, I've got it pretty good here. Come on, I'm talking to somebody here today. I've got it pretty good here. I'm not going to be troubled by that. I'm not going to be bothered with them. That is not my problem, therefore it's not my responsibility. I've come to tell you today, it is our problem and our responsibility as believers to bring people to the foot of the cross and see lives transformed. It doesn't matter what color they are, what language they speak, what their country of origin may be. It doesn't matter their background, how shaded and colored that may be. It doesn't matter what they have done. It doesn't matter where they have come from or where they're at. All that matters is the cross is an open invitation to all who believe and may I say this to you again not political it's scriptural the cross is the only place where you will find equality the cross is the only place where you will find complete acceptance you're not going to find it in the workplace. You're not going to find it in the university. You're not going to find it in the neighborhood. You're not going to find it in the market. But you will find equality at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there, every man must kneel. And every tongue must confess that he is Lord. And it's there the blood of Jesus Christ washes us and cleanses us and changes us and transforms us and makes us brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. You know, I love this church for a lot of reasons. But one of the main reasons is what I just saw as these young ladies were dancing and Jordell. You know what I saw? I saw white. I saw black. I saw Hispanic. I saw them working together. I saw them moving to achieve a common goal. Oh, come on, somebody. This church is open to everyone. It doesn't matter where you came from or where you're born or the language you speak or the color of your skin. We are here to welcome you to the foot of the cross. Because there, all men are equal. And only there. Nehemiah could have said, I've got it pretty easy. I don't need to go back to Jerusalem. That looks like a lot of hard work and pain and trouble and turmoil. But because of the compassion he felt for his countrymen, he was moved to do something. He was moved to respond. You can look at chapter 1, verse 4. It's not on the slides, Jada. When Nehemiah heard the report of his brother, it says that he sat down and wept. Here's the question. How long has it been since you have wept over our society? How long has it been since you have wept over our country? How long has it been since you've allowed compassion to rise up within you for someone who doesn't look like you, act like you, smell like you, walk like you, eat like you? How long has it been since compassion has moved your heart? His compassion compelled him to seek God in behalf of his countrymen. To find an answer, to do something. You see, compassion won't let you sit still. It requires you to move forward. It requires you to get involved. It requires that you pick up a tool. That you lift up a hand. That you help somebody with utility bill. That you bring food to their house. It requires you to do something. Compassion won't let you sit on the sidelines and do nothing. Secondly, Nehemiah's heart was full of courage. This is still under what he felt. He was full of courage. And it requires courage to rebuild. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. We already read that once. 
And he said, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. He was taking a great risk. He had no right to ask the king for anything. But because the king knew him, had a relationship with him, he was able to ask a big ask. Now let me apply this to us. The king knows us. We have a relationship with the king. He sees our life. He loves us. Therefore, we can ask big asks. We can ask things that are absolutely impossible in our mind and in our thoughts. But if we do, then the Bible says he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or even begin to think because he's God. The king knows you. Don't be afraid to ask. So let me ask you. And I'm speaking to people in this room today, people online today. Do you care enough about your relationship with God to rebuild it? To see it restored? To go through the effort, the pain of repentance? And I say that because when we consider our sins, it hurts us. And if it doesn't hurt us, something's wrong. And it's that godly sorrow that leads us to repentance, and repentance leads us to change. Do you care enough about what's been torn down between you and God? Do you care enough about the promises of eternity that God has extended to you to do something to change your life today? Truth, and you remember, you can't live as an adversary of God and expect to live in God's promises. You can't be His enemy and then reach out your hand for his blessing. Come on, folks, you need to hear me. There is no place in the kingdom to straddle the fence. You have to determine whose side you're on. Either you're going to go all in and all out for God, or you're going to go to hell. Wow, that was harsh. It's the truth. See, here's the problem. The word has been so watered down, so marginalized, so homogenized. That we don't receive truth like that anymore. Many don't even believe there is such a place as hell. Again, go back to where I started. We call wrong right and wrong right wrong. Are you willing to rebuild your relationship with God? Because before you can rebuild any other relationship, that one has to be rebuilt. That one has to be rebuilt. Because everything we are and everything we do stems from Him in us. Listen, here's the truth. Without God, yeah, you can go out and try to rebuild a relationship, but you know what's going to happen? You're going to be the same old crazy character that's crooked as a snake that you always were, and it's only a matter of time until you blow it up again. But if you will submit to God today, let God do a change in your life this morning. Let true repentance occur. Then I can tell you all the resources of heaven, all the power of God, every promise of the Lord is going to rush to your aid and rush to your side. And what you can't do, you'll find now I can because he's working through me. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. Pretty simple statement, isn't it? Why don't you feed on that this afternoon? If you love him, do what he told you to do. It's really that simple. 
See, there's risk required when we determine to rebuild relationships. First, we rebuild with God. Then it's with family and friends at our church. How many people have walked out of a church because they're hurts? Rather than taking the time, the effort, the energy to attempt to rebuild that relationship, they just leave. See, that's the way we are today. When things get hard, we run away. When things get tough, we don't want to deal with it, so we find a new place that isn't as hard. It's reflected in every aspect of every relationship. Here's the truth I want to leave with you. There will be people who have offended you in your family, your friends, and even in your church that may never say to you, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. See, restoring relationships means that I'm willing to take the risk. I'm willing to reach out the one that's offended me. I'm willing to say, I don't like where our relationship is at. I don't like the fact that this bridge has been burned. I want to know you in the future and walk in relationship with you. I want you to help me restore the relationship. And even though you did nothing wrong, I'm sorry for what you've experienced. Until we're willing to do that, we'll never see restoration. Until we're willing to do that, relationships will never be rebuilt. Number two, what Nehemiah saw. Let's talk about that. Nehemiah 2, 8 through 11. So I came to Jerusalem, was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what God had put in my heart to do except at Jerusalem. Nor was any animal with me except the one which I rode. I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down at its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, and there was no room for the army to pass. So I went up, to the night by the, up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I hadn't yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in Jerusalem, how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words, which he had spoken to me. So they said, rise up and build. Listen to this. Then they set their hands to do this good work. Catch the picture. Nehemiah hadn't said a word to anybody about why he was coming to Jerusalem. He kept his own counsel up to this point. He had been there three days, no doubt talking to the rulers, the nobles, the priests. And after three days, he said, it's time to see what's really going on. So he went out by night, and when he couldn't see the entirety of the walls by riding around them, he went up on the hill so he could have a view of everything. Can I challenge you today to stop looking at what's right in front of you? Find yourself in a position where you can see it all. Get up where you can see what's happening below you and underneath you and around you, and then God will begin to speak to you. Then God will begin to give you direction. The Bible says he found favor first with the king, then he finds favor with the elders, the rulers, the priests, the nobles in Jerusalem. 
And they said, let us arise and do this good work. But I want you to notice what happened. As soon as they started, there was opposition. Anytime you begin to rebuild anything, someone's going to tell you you can't do it. Someone's going to tell you you're crazy. Someone's going to tell you you're better off letting sleeping dogs lie. Someone's going to tell you, hey, they made their bed, let them lie in it. When you begin to rebuild anything, somebody will oppose you. Somebody will stand against you. Not everyone around Jerusalem wanted Nehemiah to build the walls. There was opposition from those who had lived in the area for hundreds of years that were not Jewish. Sanballat, Tobiah, they came to oppose him. They said, we don't want Jerusalem to be secure anymore. It's better that the walls stay down and we can overcome it and take it anytime we choose. Notice first, they wanted to join with them. But Nehemiah saw through that plot and rejected it. Then they ridiculed him, said it'll never happen. And then when the wall was being rebuilt, they resorted to threats of violence to stop it. We need to remember that the people who oppose you won't give up very easily. But rebuilding is worth it. Rebuilding is worth it. Press on through. The opposition wasn't just from without, but it was also from within. Because he became discouraged, the scripture tells us. Discouraged from the within. Listen, the size of the job, the length of the task, the amount of dedication required tested the mettle of every person under his voice and leadership. Sometimes I think uh, we don't really realize what a big job this was. The walls of Jerusalem were 22 and a half feet thick. They were 25 feet high. They were made of huge stones and they were all covered in the rubble of the past wall. Can you imagine the task before them? It was monumental. It was huge. It wasn't something that could be done very easily. Remember this. Anything worth doing is probably not going to be easy. You know, we've been here almost nine years. And I got to tell you, it didn't work out the way I thought. The plan I had when we came almost nine years ago blew up in my face in about the first 30 days. Didn't work out the way I thought. And I would lie to you if I said it's been easy. It's been hard. It's been difficult. There's been opposition. But I've come to tell you, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to ruffle some feathers now. Some of you might be ready for me to go. That's a long time. You should go somewhere else. I told you when I came, I came because God said so. And I'm telling you when I leave, it'll be because God said so, not because someone else did. And I don't care how hard it gets. God has called me. Listen, God has called me to stay. He hadn't called me to leave yet. But I will assure you when he does, all you're going to see is dust. It's going to be heading west. All you'll see is dust. One of the biggest travesties is when a pastor resigns and sticks around. Come on, let those folks make a new relationship, a smooth transition to the leader that God is bringing in. You say, well, that's harsh. I'm telling you, when I leave, all you will see is dust. Doesn't mean I don't love you. Doesn't mean I don't care about you. It means my season is done and it's someone else's time. 
Doesn't mean I won't always love you. Doesn't mean I won't welcome your calls. That's not what it means. But it means I understand how God works in the kingdom. So look at what Nehemiah did. He did three things. That's number three. Three things he did. Number one, he planned his work. Because the task was so large, he had to plan the work. So he appointed the people to build the wall that was in front of their own homes. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? The quicker you get it up, the more secure you're going to be at home. Wow. Let me say that again. The quicker you get it up, the more secure you're going to be at home until you rebuild the walls, until you restore the word, until you come back to the foundations of God and your relationship with him. You will never live in security. You'll live in fear. You'll live in isolation. You'll live in abandonment. But when you rebuild the wall, you're going to live in security. Now that did more for me than it did for you. Second, he brought unity to that group of workers. Hey, look, you want to go ahead and come back now? He brought unity to those workers. And he organized them so they weren't working alone, but they were working together. It's an amazing thing. He combined hard work and diligent faith, which is a powerful combination. See, a faithful man, when he understands the task that is before him, does what is required, knowing that God will reward. So many times we start and then we quit. Have you noticed that? We've lost the aspect that says, I'm sticking this through to the end. I'll start it, but if it isn't easy, if it isn't pleasant, if it doesn't go well, then I'll abandon what it is, even though God has called me to do it. He called them to unity. And they all came. There was only one group of elders who refused to come and work on the wall. And that was because they were too proud to get their hands dirty. Wow. It's another spiritual truth that applies today. If you're following somebody that wants to sit on a pedestal and tell you what to do, but never do life with you, run as fast as you can. Because as human beings, we need human leaders who will do life with us. Who aren't afraid to get their hands dirty with our messes. Who aren't afraid to get involved and pray and cry and believe God for something greater. The third thing he did under, was when he faced the threats of Sambalat and company. He prayed and he posted a guard. He prayed and he posted a guard. The Bible says that he challenges people to work with one hand and be ready to fight with the other. So we've lost that. We've lost the fight from the kingdom of God. We don't mind the work, but we don't want to fight. We don't mind the effort, but we don't want to be harmed. Because anytime we're facing a fight, it means that we could be facing harm. It means that harm could come to you and I. He called him to work with one hand and fight with the other. Church, I'm looking for people today who say, I hear what you're saying. I want to rebuild my family. 
I want to rebuild my home. I want to rebuild my church. And today, I am ready to pick up a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other and follow God wherever he leads so that we can rebuild starting here and let it spread around our city, around our state, around our nation and recover and restore everything the enemy has stolen. Send your feet with me today. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.